0: boys and girls ladies and gents welcome to another episode of clutch conversations this your boy mike we back at you now it's not live this is a pre-recorded episode if you're watching the premiere for this then it is thursday night at 8 august 17th and your boy is in daytona and we doing the damn thing man shout out to all the folks who gonna show up in daytona man me and the car we definitely looking forward to daytona speaking of the car man Ain't nothing changed just because it's pre recorded. You know, we just got to give a shout out to my lovely wife, Takar. Appreciate everything you do. We're going to have, like I said, we're going to have a lot of fun in Daytona this weekend. Y'all definitely show us some love in the comments and don't stop there. Do us a solid and show the channel some love. Hit that like button. If you haven't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button and make sure you hook, smash that notification bell so you can get notifications every time we drop a video on the channel. Shout out to all the people that's checking out the premiere right now. And also shout out to all the folks that will catch the replay and shout out to the audio only gang. Audio recordings of Clutch Conversations are available on all major podcasting platforms. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. When you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform, please be sure to follow, rate, and review. It really helps us out. We really appreciate the feedback. Definitely appreciate the support speaking of support if you're involved in this hobby in any shape form or fashion make sure you're supporting us art and us art florida if you're gonna be in daytona this weekend definitely check out the us art auction um, i believe it's at 8 p.m um but definitely yeah check that out the links for both organizations so both USARC and USARC florida the links for both organizations are in the description of this video if you're not a member Definitely go grab your membership. If you're able to donate, donate what you can and be sure to spread the word about both these organizations that help protect our rights as reptile keepers. So tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. We're gonna do a real quick shout out to the sponsors. Big dreams starting in small towns. Small Town Exotics is a family ran business specializes in high quality ball python morphs, western hog noses, and select leopard geckos. They are proud members of USARC, USARC Florida, and the Orient Society. Stay connected with Small Town Exotics on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Witness their journey as they grow their business and showcase their animals to the world. Thank you Small Town Exotics for sponsoring the show. And on his angels, it comes to
1: life. Baby, baby, won't you listen to me? I got that flavor. I know you're dying to feed. I ain't no dancer, just got some hip in my feet. I thought it ends up.
0: Lighter. I got
1: How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, man. I
0: appreciate you taking the time to to join us tonight, uh, especially being flexible. It, oh, yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Um, I've got like a list of folks that I really want to get on the show. And you're definitely uh, one of the folks on that list. So glad we can make it work it out. I appreciate the flexibility on recording on a different night other than Thursday. So so all that works out uh, very well. So really appreciate it, man. Looking forward to tonight's chat.
1: Absolutely. I, I, you know what? When I um. I saw you come up a bunch on Instagram over the past couple months. And then when I spoke to you back in, what was it, April or May, when you asked me to come on, um, I started watching a, f- a few more of your interviews. And you're definitely at the, in my opinion, at the top of the class in terms of what uh, people are doing in the podcast segment. So I'm excited to be on today.
0: I really appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the feedback, man. It means a lot, man. For sure. For sure. Cool, man. So I guess we can jump right into it. So I guess let's start out. Um, by kind of setting the stage because I want to get a little bit of information about your background experience and things of that nature so I realize this is a question that gets asked a lot so feel free to be as brief if you brief as you need to be and if you want to tell like a story or two feel free to do it but just tell us a little bit about what kind of got you started in the reptile space uh, that's,
1: that's a hard question to answer because I've been doing this ever since I can remember. Um, So, I mean, from five years old, six years old, um, when they opened the first pet store uh, near me in Pittsburgh, I was, you know, going there to buy my first green anole or to buy my first tree frog or leopard gecko or something like that. And it just, it caught my eye at that point. Um, And from a young age, I joined the Pittsburgh Herpetological Society, which at that point, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but they used to hold the meetings at the Pittsburgh Zoo. So my mom would drive me out. We'd go to those meetings. Um, We'd go to the reptile shows that were about an hour away. So I've been doing this ever since I can remember. I lived across from a giant park. So I would you know walk across the street, go in the streams, and catch crayfish and everything like that. So it's sort of something I've always been in. Um, As far as ball pythons, which is what I focus on now, um 2019 well i wasn't allowed to have snakes that was that was, that was the the hard cut off of, of <laughs> I, had, I had everything other than snakes in my in my mom's house so i moved out and i got my first corn snake you know one of my early 20s i'm like almost 38 now um so in 2019 i got my first ball python and it was at a reptile show locally in pittsburgh I think it was like a pastel male, and I fell in love with it because it wasn't like any other snake I had ever had before. You know, colubrids, corn snakes, rat snakes, they're usually pretty flighty, hard to handle. Um, I did have a carpet python at one point a long time ago, and it, it was just crazy, always biting me, and it kind of turned me off to snakes for a while. But when I tried with the ball python, um, the fact that it was so tame, the fact that it was so slow, and you know, it gets the nickname of the pet rock, um, but they're just, it was easy to handle and that really drew me in so at that point you know i started going down that whole rabbit hole of all right i want this and i want that and i want this and i bought i found out what a blue-eyed lucy was so i bought my first blue-eyed lucy um and those were actually the first snakes i bred and hatched in 2020 right as soon as the pandemic started i think they hatched like the month after the pandemic happened and then i just started going you know further and further into it so i've been doing it for about five years now
0: nice nice so when you first picked up the the first ball python obviously it was just for a pet so at what point did it kind of like snap on you like were you when you started like to want to breed and stuff like that like what was the thing that kind of made it click to you that says hey i want to breed these i want to reproduce them
1: Uh, having that first male and and he wasn't i don't know maybe 200 grams when i got him um it was so fun to have like he was such a cool pet and once I started looking into it more, that part, Morph Market was around. So it was easier to kind of visualize and see the different types of ball pythons they had. Um, and then I found a blue eyed Lucy on there. It was in this specific one, was probably a lesser Mojave or something, which is an all white snake with bright blue eyes. And that blew my mind because I had never seen anything like that before at that point. So I was like, holy crap, like this is a really cool looking animal. Like I want to get one of those. So I, <laughs> I did, and I got a couple females, and I got a male. Um, and at that point, they were breeding. By the end of twenty nineteen, um, and that's really what kind of kicked in the high gear for me. Once I had those, I think that first clutch I had, I don't know, it was maybe between four and six eggs. And at that point, at the start of the pandemic, those blue Lucy's were selling like upwards of five hundred bucks or more. Nice. And I, I was like, wow, I can sell snakes. At, 500 bucks a piece. And I love doing it. That um, it might not be a bad thing to get into um, <laughs> At that point. Then I started, you know, really up in my game. I think I bought my first ARS rack at that point. Um, I started breeding rats at that point because, you know, I had some that just wouldn't take frozen thawed and then you know, everything just kind of snowballed at that point to the point where I, where I am now.
0: <laughs> so when did you decide to make it a business? Was that kind of an immediate decision or was that an iterative process?
1: Um man I I think after hatching that first ploy Lucy clutch and selling them for what I was able to sell them for after it improved to my wife because my wife hated snakes and she was still sort of afraid of them um, but she hated snakes. So the fact that I had them in the house at all um was like a blessing um, <laughs> once I was able to show her, hey this is a hobby that I have I like doing it but on top of that, um, there's potential to create some, some, you know, uh, some money for the family, some extra money, right? Before it turns into like a full-time thing. So at that point, I was like, all right, I need to start kind of looking into this more. I need to start uh, building um, a nice group of breeding animals that I can put together. You know, have a better year the following year because at that point, I think maybe I had three or four clutches that year in 2020, um, and then 20. 21 i had i think uh 17 18 clutches oh wow yeah yeah, and i I produced close to 100 hatchlings but i think i I i had one clutch that produced any visual clowns and i think i maybe had one or two clutches that produced any visual pides so i was very heavy on just like the incomplete dominant genes and then i realized i was doing it wrong um because i was i produced 100 snakes i think maybe I sold like 40,000 worth of snakes out of those hundred babies. And then I um, was like, I can do this as a business. I can make this into something. I made a hundred babies this year. I made around 40 grand off of it. Um, I can scale this and make it into something that's more profitable for me. And then I started, you know, watching a lot more on YouTube. I really zeroed in on what Ozzy was doing. And that was having a smaller collection. It was still in his home, um, but he's creating some of the highest end snakes that I had seen anywhere at that point. So I actually bought two snakes off of Ozzy at that point. Um, And then I started selling all of my adult females from that season that didn't have any um, recessive traits that weren't pied or visual clowns, which was most of them, if not all of them. And I started buying everything that was pied and clown that I could get my hands on at that point. And so that was, late 2021 and, um, stuff was expensive at that point. So you're paying like top dollar for all these snakes. especially if you could find any females that were adults that were recessive or, um, things that were close to being adults. So I basically sold everything off that was adult that had laid for me. I started buying a bunch of new stuff. My biggest investment at that point was a pair of lightning pides, uh, MJ Xanthic pides. They were adults already. They laid for me the following summer in 2022. I think they produced six eggs, and I didn't hold any back because I was like kind of hurting for money at that point. But I still, those six eggs, I think the females were selling for five grand a pop, and the males were selling for thirty five hundred a pop. And nice. I think I, had like, <laughs> I think I had three of each, so it, it made so that that kind of proved that I can do it. I can scale it and that i needed to kind of go uh full force into the whole um you know this thing needs to become a business and i need to start doing it now
0: so i was doing like some quick math in my head and so like you said you had six babies 3.3 and you gave the prices and so that was over 30 grand and i know you got a video on youtube about making 30 grand from two snakes i haven't had a chance to watch it yet but is that the, are those the two snakes you're talking about
1: yep that was them
0: nice nice
1: nice nobody else at that point in the u.s anyways was breeding mj pides they had you know xanthic pides they had tsk or yeah vpi or tsk pides uh, but nobody was breeding mj pides so the sticker price for them was astronomical um so they made me a really good amount of money i was able to take that money and pay off bills and reinvest it um, to where I am now, and I have my my collection has evolved a lot since even last year when I sold those babies. Um, but yeah, those were the two snakes that made me the the thirty grand there.
0: Nice. And so you started out as Blind Strike Exotics, is that correct? Right. Yeah. And then you switched over to Snake Limited.
1: Yeah. So last um, about twelve months ago, it was like the end of August last year. For some reason, my Instagram account got deleted. Um, oh, Wow. Instagram never. So this was like five years or four years at that point of building this Instagram account. I had probably a thousand plus posts at that point, you know, thousands of followers more than I have now. And they just deleted the account. Um, They didn't tell me why they said it's going to be permanently deleted in seven days. Um, I tried to contact them to get some information and try to figure out what was going on. They never replied to me. They just deleted it. Wow. So I created a new blind strike account. Um, but I ran that sort of for a couple months and then I was like, you know what? I love I like the name Blind Strike Exotics. It's a mouthful. I think I can kind of shorten the name a little bit, and make it a little more um I guess modern, you know. Um mm-hmm. so you know, other you know, snake <laughs> is uh <laughs> I mean it's that's what I do. I sell snakes, right? Um, and the S-N-K-E spelling of it, the abbreviation uh, to me in this more techie world was sort of kind of more on the nose of what I was doing. Um, that's pretty cool. So that's why I, I switched to that last. I think <clears throat> I formally signed, like filled out the paperwork in October, and then like I formally announced it in December last year, 2022.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I was uh, going through the process of getting my logo created, and like I was looking at like some color options and just kind of like how I wanted it to pop and kind of like the vibes and whatnot. I want to give off with the color that orange and black, like from the previous logo that stuck out to me. So like that was the influence of why I went with the orange and black. Cause I really Perfect. liked how that looked. Yeah. So. I um,
1: I love that too. Um, but
0: I, I like this too. I like the yellow and black too. It's nice.
1: Like I had a hard time deciding to change that. Something I, my issue with that old logo was like the green eyes. Well, I liked the green eyes and it was a nice color change, but I wanted it to be like just two colors. Um, the black and the orange, but I didn't like the black and the orange. So I started kind of drifting more towards this yellow gold color. Um, and it, 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 I hate to say that the Steelers and like Pittsburgh has any influence on it being <laughs> black and gold, but I guess it like subconsciously did. Probably um, does. <laughs> because that's, that's where it ended up. But I, I like, you know, my, like, I like the way it looks on everything, even my, my watch band here. Um Nice. You know, Clean. Know, it,
0: just, it, it
1: worked for me. Um So I, I just, I, I changed the color. I, I was trying to get more of a gold tone. Um but this works, and it. Can.
0: I like it. it. I like it a lot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I kept the same logo. I just changed the name, so that's of the other part of it. In I fact, I don't
0: know logo. if you if you heard the song, like if you had the audio turned on or whatnot. But when I shared the flyer for this, um, I had the black and yellow song. Oh, Perhaps really? Was Khalifa it's really? like black and yellow? Black and yellow? <laughs> no,
1: yeah. You know what? I every time I'm on Instagram, one of my biggest pet peeves. And I, like, I'm not a social media person. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that when I'm like my wife sitting next to me and it's just like she's scrolling through Instagram or TikTok and she's like bah! like noises I'm like just put it on mute like so every time I'm on Instagram my phone's my volume's always down but I'll have to go back and look at it it's kind of funny
0: yeah I'm not gonna lie like most of the time when I'm scrolling through social media too my volume's down as well <laughs> yeah,
1: I just I, I I hate being out somewhere and somebody's volume just turned up all the way and, and turn up the conversation
0: <laughs> or like it inevitably like you'll be like it'll just pop up for whatever reason and it'll switch to like some weird random where someone's saying like some random thing and it's just like yeah. not appropriate for the moment. You're like, oh, my yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: first goes from like a normal volume to somebody screaming and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, so I always operate um, with my phone turned down um, nine times out of ten. yeah, yeah. So it's funny um, how you mentioned you build your collection at first because that reminds me a lot of like how I built my collection too, right? So like when I got into it, like I was really focused on things that were like really eye-catching. And I had like a lot, I was very like incomplete, dominant, heavy. And Mm -hmm. like I had some recessive, like I got clown early on, I got hypo early on, and I even got some pod early on, but I didn't really have like a real focus when I was uh, getting into projects. In fact, projects is probably like overselling it. Like I was just really just like accumulating snakes, accumulating snakes, but as, time kind of went on like I I got connected with some folks who had like way more knowledge um, about the industry and how things should go than I do and I just started like really got soaking up the knowledge getting in groups like Ozzy's group that helps Billy's group Justin's group like all those groups out there like all that stuff kind of helps and it really just kind of helps like pull you along and so like I quickly pivoted on how I was building my collection and I started doing similar to you, I start like moving out some of those animals that didn't really meet the needs of my projects just so I can really refine it, right? Because um, I believe in quality over quantity as well. Um, I know like people say that and say that and it's kind of become cliche, but like there's a legitimate uh, benefit to that, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to do the same amount of work. So you might as well maximize like the work and leverage the work and leverage the space that you have by focusing on like uh, these higher-end animals that are going to push their projects forward and kind of push the industry forward.
1: Yeah. And that was my, my, I never wanted this to grow, uh, to be something so big that I was going to require a huge facility that I was going to require, you know, two, three, four employees. I wanted to be able to do it all myself. Um, I get quality control, I guess, kind of, um, when we moved, uh, we moved actually mid pandemic, um, and like the end of 2020, in the house we moved into, which is where we're at now, um, this, this space, the snake room is a just, it was a big empty room underneath the garage. There was nothing in it. It was like a storage room. It's like, I think 15 by 15 or something. I was like, this is the house. Like I, we literally a big selling point of us buying this house was because I could have a snake room and it was detached. Nobody had to walk in here if they didn't want to. My wife didn't even have to see this room if she didn't want to. Um, so we literally half half the reason we bought this house was because I could have a snake room in it. So, <laughs> So it's contained and I didn't want to have to outgrow this room. So that's why my shift went from, all right, I'm going to breed an Enchi to a Mojave and see what comes out, you know, Mojave Enchis, Mochis, um, to being more selective with what I was trying to breed. And I even kind of redoubled down on that again this season. Um, I had a bunch of stuff that ended up not going for me towards the beginning of the year. And I sold off a bunch of, adult females that just i didn't have anything to pair them up to they were still pides that had a couple genes in them um but i was like you know what i'm not doing anything with these females um i can get some good deals on better snakes because i didn't have a whole lot of dg in here at that point i think i had like two snakes um so i sold off like 10 15 uh, adult snakes that i wasn't using and i ended up getting like four dg clown combo snakes from chimera um, that, you know, I'd had nothing like that in my collection. Now I have five females that have DG clown, um, and a male to breed to them. So I took, you know, all this stuff and just condensed it down into five snakes that, you know, next year they're going to be breeding They're already a thousand grams a piece, three or four of them. Nice. Are, and they'll be breeding for me by the end of the year. And, you know, I'm going to be producing DG clowns and, and the male I got from Canova to go with them has five genes, including confusion in them um so you know it it just it changes the game and if i can sell you know a couple snakes for two three four five grand a pop rather than selling tons of snakes for 500 a pop um it makes your life a lot easier because
0: again
1: rodents like i hate rodents um i I hate breeding them but i have to at this point and i don't want to do more of it like, I, I, I'm OK with I'm OK with where I'm at. But, you know, so I don't I don't want to have 400 snakes in here and then have to make up the difference with the road. And am I'm, I'm like happy with the size I have now. So I, that means I need to get, produce higher quality stuff.
0: 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the road at work. The road at work is hard. Like, it's a it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's, it's for me, cool. it's more work than the snakes. And we don't have a ton and we got ASFs. So I don't know what you're breeding. Are you breeding Norwegians? Or are you breeding breeding? Breeding everything. He's breeding
1: ASFs, Norwegians, and mice. Okay. But I think I think I'm getting out of mice because my issue with mice is they don't seem to breed consistently. Um, and when they do, and I pull them out and I put them in the grow out tubs, every once in a while I have like a like a litter of mice that just don't survive and they all end up dying in the grow out tub. Oh wow! So, so I we actually were on vacation last week and I came home and the house reeked. Because in one of these tubs, you know, like five of the mice ended up dying for some reason. Whereas I never have uh, Norwegians or ASFs do that. So I think I'm going to try to get rid of mice altogether. Um, the only reason I haven't yet is because I just had 29 uh, rainbow Brazilian rainbow boas <laughs> come out. Um, so I was trying to feed them the smaller mice while I could. But as soon as I'm able to get them on bigger item prey items, I'm going to get rid of the mice altogether
0: gotcha yes i don't have any experience breeding anything other than asfs but just in passing having conversations with folks like people say that mice are probably like one of the harder ones to breed and then um i like the asfs because they're they're fairly clean again i don't have anything to compare it to but just from having like conversations with other people and i know for us like they they're they're fairly clean but when we do have to clean like it's a lot of work like we do like full like tub switches like once a week that's about how long we can let it go um but it's it's a lot of work i do like the asfs in the sense that like they produce or at least the ones i have they produce regularly um again don't really have anything to compare it to but from what i've heard they grow like slower than like the norwegians but for for me like like right now like them growing slow is like the least of my worries because I got so many, uh, girls and stuff that are all food because like they're getting ready to drop like in the next month or, or whatever. Um, now they're just piling up on me. In fact, like I'm gonna have to like euthanize and yeah. cold some of them or sell some of them soon because like I'm running out of space. Like I got so many ASFs right now. Like it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> like I might I I overdid it.
1: It's a good problem to have. Um, but they, I mean, I have. I wasn't able to locate ASFs around here until the, the breeding groups I bought act, like six months ago. Um, since I started breeding them, I have f- maybe five or six snakes that um, would not eat for me like for months. And now they're taking like three or four a week religiously. So the only reason that I still produce all three types of rodents is because I still have some that want mice um, I still have some that only take ASFs I, in my bigger females I'm not at the point with my ASFs that I can afford to give them three or four um I, mean, I have I have 4 thousand gram females and I can't feed them one ASF or two ASFs like it's just not enough of a meal for them so they still get a Norwegian you know every couple of weeks um, but I've, I've cut back on Norwegian I think I had, I had a big ARS rack. It has uh, six, uh, 24 tubs in it, and I was using all of them to breed Norwegians. And now I only have, I think, 12 of those I use for Nor- Norwegians now. So I cut back Norwegians a lot because of how much um, the ASFs have made it easier. They're less, definitely less smelly. Norwegians are a disaster. They, they're so smelly, <laughs> such a mess. But uh, the ASFs are so nasty. Like they're so mean compared to the like, I could stick my hands in with my Norwegians or my mice and wouldn't take a single bite. I mean, I've I've been I've bled so many times from ASFs nipping me that it's insane. Like in, in oh really? Yeah, compared to Norwegians and mice in five years. Um, so I I don't like ASFs because of that. They're a little more aggressive.
0: Gotcha. So um, we've been fortunate. Um, in that regard, our ASFs they're like super tame. Like I might have. Once, maybe twice, I've been nipped in like the over a year that we we've, we've had them. Yeah, like I rarely. And if if one nips me, like that's it, you're you're gone. <laughs> well,
1: I do that too, but it's like all of them. Like <laughs> yeah, you they can't breed it out at this point unless I try to go ahead and get a different colony from somebody else. But I mean, I have you know tons of them now. I, I'm just not going to start the colony over again at this point. So
0: yeah, that um, makes perfect I, sense.
1: I'm just very cautious when I'm in there. It's just, it's I don't need any more blood on my hands from ASFs.
0: Yeah, I've definitely heard a lot of people talk about like just how nippy the ASFs were. Yep. I'm glad ours aren't like that because like, like that would be a pain. Yeah, you're lucky. <laughs> how <laughs> many uh, snakes
1: are in the collection right now? Um, I don't keep count. I would say I probably have like 40 adult females, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably have 15 to 20 females that I'll be adding to the breeding rotation for next year. Um, and this year so far in terms of holdbacks, I've pr- I have probably have 20 holdbacks at this point from what I've bred so far this year, but more to come. So, I mean, I it's... The stuff I'm keeping, it's probably around 100 snakes right now um, because I'm always kind of turning things over. Uh, the way I look at it is if I'm not using it, I don't have a plan for it, and it's not some genetic masterpiece, it's leaving. Like I don't keep it just to, to keep an extra mouth to feed here. Right. Um, if it's not serving a purpose, I'm just actually just sold off. Uh, I shipped them tonight. I had a, a dreamsicle male, a yellow belly pied het female, and a pied het female, all adults that. I had no plan for. I wasn't doing anything with them, um, so I sold them, and I just I use that money to either pay off bills or reinvest it because, you know, I'm I'm working a DG Clown project and I'm working a DG Pied project and I'm trying to bring those two together, and those projects are going to be worth infinitely more um, to the business than you know working a working a Dreamsicle project. So I just kind of cut bait on it, and um, so there's never a stagnant number here, and I don't just keep holding on to stuff. If I'm holding on to something, it's because it's making the projects that I'm working on, you know, bigger and better.
0: Gotcha. You mentioned kind of like not wanting to get bigger than like a certain size. Like, are you are you near that size now? And it's just like a constant rotation to kind of keep you at the size you are now. Or is there some room for maybe like some 10, 20, 30 percent growth in terms Um, of like size of the collection?
1: I've done a really good job of rearranging the snake room. Like I've probably rearranged it four or five times since I lived here for three years. (laughs) And I I think I can add maybe one or two more racks if I'm, if I'm, you know, uh, good at Tetris. Um, (laughs) My other option is moving the rodents and trying to get like a rodent shed outside my back door. Um, But that would involve me, you know, building a rodent shed. And I kind of like them in here. Although not having them in here would get rid of the stink. Um, So it just depends on whether or not I can get a rodent shed. But I'm assuming that at some point I'm going to need to get another mini 130 uh, for the hatchlings. And I'll probably need another 5540, um, I think. So, yeah, I'll probably need another two racks at some point. Um, Judging by, and that's based off of like this year, with the market being down, you know, that everybody keeps talking about, it's been hard to sell snakes. And the only consistent way that I've been able to sell snakes is by offering sales. Um, so with that in mind, with prices and snakes kind of going down a little bit, either you need to be making some stuff that's like super high end that people are wanting to buy right away. That's going to fly off the shelf. Uh, that's very unique or you need to be producing uh, some of the mid tier stuff that I'm producing, I can make two thousand bucks off of it, but like, somebody wants to get a free snake with that. You know, they're willing to spend two grand, but they want another snake that's two grand with it. And that's really the only way I've been able to sell the higher end stuff. The stuff that's been like five hundred dollar range, it, it'll sell by itself. But when there's forty thousand snakes on morph market, uh, you need to be creative with how you're trying to sell that stuff. So, with that in mind, I'm kind of expecting that I'm probably going to need to buy another hatching rack. And I'm probably gonna need to produce 40, 50 clutches next year, um, to make this a full time gig so that I can get rid of my day job and and you know, fully commit myself to, you know, Paul Pythons.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So you say so you do like buy one, get one on like certain levels of snakes?
1: Yeah, so like the what I did in, in July, um, because I was starting to get a lot of backlog of snakes and um like everything it's weird, like my season was a bunch of stuff hatched in May, June, early July to the point where I had like 30 snakes, I think, that I sold in the month of July um, because of the BOGO sale because it was filling up my rack. And then I knew I didn't know at that point that my rainbow bow was going to have a litter of 29 babies, but I'm glad I sold off as ball pythons because that took up three rows of my mini 130. Um, so snakes just weren't selling by themselves. So... I decided, all right, I'm just going to sell these things. I tried a 40% off sale. Nobody bit. I literally didn't have a single inquiry. I think I did that on 4th of July. So the BOGO sale, what I did was, you know, you buy a male or a female, whichever one more expensive, um, and you get a, a snake of the opposite sex free that's equal or lesser value. So if you bought a $2,000 female, you can get a $2,000 male for free um, and vice versa. Um, so you know, most people I ha- I have them priced similarly. I had a couple that I just put together as pairs, um with that reduced pricing and it worked and I, you know, had a really good month last month. Um, I sold out I think all but five of the snakes that I had, and those five didn't sell because I think they're all males and I didn't have anything else to pair them up with. Um, <laughs> I, I was low I kept so many females back that I kind of ran out of females to sell. Um But, yeah, I sold all but five hatchlings last month.
0: Nice. That's an interesting strategy. Yeah. And it sounded like it was very successful.
1: There's 40,000 snakes right now on there. Um, There was over 40 at the beginning of the year. It dipped. Like, I watched this religiously because I need to know what what the competition is, right? And it was dipping. I think it was below 38,000 for a while, but it's inching back up to 40 again which because everybody's clutches
0: are and stuff now yeah
1: and so if I'm like I'm not producing in, like anything that's real low end like I produced I had a couple clutches and like my worst snake that came out of it was a double head clown pie uh, with no other genes in it so that was a hundred dollar snake so I was just trying to get rid of it because it didn't do me any good sitting here in the snake rack you know I, I was every week it sat in here I was wasting a couple bucks feeding it and it was taking up shelf space so I wanted to at least liquidate that sort of stuff, and the nicer stuff I was producing—that was, you know, a pied head ultramel that had three, four, or five extra genes in it—it it nice. may, have, may have been a three or four thousand dollar snake last year, but it's not now, and people weren't even willing to buy it for two thousand this year. So you dangle the carrot, and hey, buy this powerhouse snake for two grand, and you get something similar for free and it worked. Um, so, you I don't know whether or not that's in my best interest, but, you know, I can either sell that snake for a thousand bucks or sell it for 2000 and give somebody a free one. Right. I just think the strategy of, Hey, spend 2000 bucks, spend a thousand. And I did it with all snakes. So it wasn't even just the higher end stuff It was everything from 500 up to 2000. Um, it sold everything and that's what mattered to me is that you know th- those 30 snakes I sold those 30 snakes cost me at least a dollar each per week uh, to feed and they're taking up rack space so you know every single month they're there they're costing me at least probably 120 150 bucks um, at the very least so you know I could have sat on them forever and ran out of rack space or just get rid of them and pay off whatever bills I had so I chose to pay off my bills
0: yeah that makes that makes Great sense. Great sense. So uh, let's talk about like your financial planning and like management. So it sounds like you got a pretty good handle um, over that. You mentioned earlier that you wanted to do this like full time. So what's the plan look like? Um, Do you kind of have it laid out um, or based on current thinking? Like where are you at with that?
1: Um, This year really threw a wrench in everything, I think, (laughs) Um, because as of last, I mean, so two years ago. You know, I, I had hundred snakes and made 40 grand last year. I think that was the lightning pied clutch. I think I produced only four clutches last year because I sold all of my adult females from the year before. And I made between 35 and 40 grand from those four clutches of snakes. So this year, based off of what I was breeding and how many clutches I was expecting to have, I was like, man, I could be making half a half million dollars. Like realistically I was, I was, projecting that as we make in three to $700,000, depending on what everything's sold for, what my odds came out as. Right. Um I have t- more clutches than I've ever had before. Uh, I'm going to have more hatches than I've ever had before. And like I it, this year's just destroyed all that. Like I'm not, I, I, I would at this point hope that I can clear six figures, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so my projection went from being a half a million this year to being like maybe six figures, maybe. Um, so my plan was, all right, you know, I need to get rid of a lot of these females that are just pied, you know, uh, past, I had like four pastel pied females. So I got rid of them all. I kept one. Um, and things like that. And that's when I started buying the DG clowns. I bought, you know, I have a pastel ncdg clown a pat two pastel dg clowns a super pastel ngdG clown um these are all females that are going to be breeding next year and that's why I, like, I need to get some more snakes in here that are going to produce some higher end stuff so that i can raise the floor a little bit and i'm not just trying to bogo everything so you know the plan was this year for this year to be the year that gave me uh my clearance to quit the day job but it just all fell apart um, which was kind of a kick to the nuts. Um, but you know th- I mean this is still what I want to do. Um, so it's kind of just kind of pivoting and figuring out what works and, and doing the Bogo sale was something else that I never ever planned on doing. Um, but you know the you know the the money I made there it was basically cut in half by having to do a BOGO sale, but it sold those snakes and it got me new customers. right? Uh, and, it, you know, and on top of that, you get new customers and those people are happy. Hopefully they come back. Um, hopefully not on a BOGO sale, you know, maybe they're so satisfied with the purchase and with the <laughs> service. Um, so I would hope that next year, um, because of what I'll be producing next year, um, next year's like my, my, my year where I can say, Hey, I'm comfortable doing this. Um, I can quit my day job and focus on this 24 seven. Cause there's a lot of facets of it that I don't think people realize. Um, You know, it's not just producing snakes, you know, it's the social media aspect of it. Um, It's building the following Um, you know, it's being on Instagram and being on YouTube and all those little things kind of add up and, help you build your business on top of that you need to know how to sell your snakes and I think that's the one thing that um benefits me the most is that I'm willing to make a deal and I sort of changed my sales policy uh early in the summer when I realized snakes weren't gonna sell themselves anymore like to to being you know all offers are welcome Um, meaning if you see a snake listed at a thousand bucks um send me an offer and there's a good chance that maybe i accept it um don't be afraid and and previously i was actually the exact opposite and that was if it's listed for a thousand bucks you're paying a thousand bucks because the snakes were selling themselves i didn't i I didn't they just you know i think when i started doing this five years ago there were under ten thousand snakes on morph market um so if you had a dreamsicle for sale there were only a handful of dreamsicles, you know? So if you had it listed for two and a half grand, you're selling it for two and a half grand. Um, now, uh, you know, you have to be competitive and you need to be willing to make a deal with people. Um, so, you know, the other aspect of all of this is I'm willing to make a deal and I want these snakes sold. I'm not in the business of of holding things until, um, you know, I become an old grandpa. I'm in the business... <laughs> I'm in the business of selling snakes. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing here. So um, th- I think that's benefited me greatly. Um, I've talked to quite a few people that are having a hard time selling snakes. And I've kind of given them my point of view on it. And some of them, you know, take my advice. And some of them waffle at it because they don't want to sell it, you know, for cheaper than what they feel like it's worth. But this you know it's a business it's not about your feelings right it's about
0: exactly exactly like the fair fair market value is like the price that willing participants are willing to sell and buy it right and so like if you might think it's worth three thousand four thousand or whatever but there may not be anyone that shares that thought with you right and so if the market's saying that it's two thousand or fifteen hundred like you either hold it and keep it or you sell it at 1500. It's just kind of like where we are, right? It's more of a buyer's market uh, for sure right now. And so you kind of got to be willing to adjust, you know what I'm saying? If, especially if you want to be in this long-term, at least that's my thoughts on it. You got to be able to adjust, right? Because there'll probably be a time where the market isn't quite like this, and maybe it's like it builds up, builds up more, and it's not quite you having to like Drop the prices like so much with the snakes, but I think kind of right now, you kind of got to adjust to where the market's at. And there's so many different like kind of factors that's playing into that. So you got the overall economy and kind of where things are, you've got like crazy inflation, so everything's costing more, right? And so like people have to make that decision. And so you kind of got to factor all that stuff into it. It's like any business. And so when you're doing this as a business, you kind of got to think about it from a business perspective. And if your prices don't align with the market, it's a good chance you're not going to sell the snake. And so there's a holding cost to that. Like you touched on earlier, you got to feed, you got to house and stuff like that. So if you want to sell the snake, you kind of have to adjust. That's just how I feel. Um, yeah. it, does it suck? Yeah, because like, I'm like you, Like I did have like these projections of selling snakes at higher values when I was like putting the numbers together. Obviously, I knew it wasn't going to be like, like I know in like some projects, sometimes the value goes down depending on what you make. Like there's fluctuations in the price and stuff, but I didn't really expect like some of the hits that we do see and some of the drops that we do see in the market. And I think that's part of what has people kind of hesitant to, to buy as well is the fact that like, you ever see like those? Remember those Walmart commercials? Watch for falling prices. Like when they were like, yep. "Hey, like the rollback's and all that kind of stuff." Yep. Like that's really kind of how it is a lot yep. uh, sometimes. And like you see like prices that are all over the place. Um, I won't call any jeans or anything out like that specifically, but you see like prices that are all over the place, and so it kind of makes you like, ah, I don't know, I don't know, and it makes you like think about it like twice, three times, four times now because you're kind of like, looking at it through that lens.
1: A good example is when I. In 21, when I decided to switch over to being kind of higher end stuff, I I bought a male from Ozzy. It was a super OD uh, yellow belly and she leopard pied male. And I think I bought him for 7,500 at that point. And Ozzy was the only person making these. Um, He made a handful of them and I got one of them and I was like, wow, all right, this is awesome. A couple, So I'm breeding him this year and I brought him a bunch of OD pied females and I'm looking at prices because uh, he had one clutch come out a little earlier uh, to a pastel inchie pied. And, I mean, prices dropped on those. I mean, they're maybe two to $3,000 if you can get that for him at this point. And actually, the one male that I sold from that earlier clutch was part of the buy one, get one free thing. So, technically, I sold them for 1000 bucks. So, you know, I bought this male for 7500 a year and a half ago, two years ago, and now I'm selling offspring from him for one to 2000 that are similar genes. Um, so prices right now, it's, it's bad in my opinion, like it's bad, uh, in terms of trying to sell and get your, uh, <laughs> get your money out of it, but that's due to everybody rushing in. Um, I was lucky enough that I got in before the COVID boom of it. Um, and I was already producing stuff at that point and was selling stuff at a good clip before the crash happened. Um, but it's hitting me too. And it's hitting everybody, Um, you know, anybody, any of the big breeders, I I would assume that a lot of them, I don't know about Justin, um, but I know that some of the bigger breeders are willing to deal a little more now. I know Billy, I'm part of his Patreon and he's offering, uh, you know, group pricing a lot on, on different things. Um, You know, I was, I bought a couple females from Ozzy a couple months ago and he was willing to kind of negotiate on the price a little bit on them too. So, I mean, everybody's, Feeling Willing and
0: it. dealing.
1: Yeah, I remember <laughs> feeling it right now. If you're going to buy a snake, now's the time to do it. Um, but the problem is, so many people flooded the market with snakes, and and I did this, I do this as as often as I check morph market to see how many snakes there are. I kind of segment it out to see how many snakes are in certain price ranges, and um, the majority of those snakes are thousand dollars or under, like the like seventy five eighty percent of them right easily. Yeah. Easy. And, um, I, you don't want to be in that group and you'd also don't want to produce that stuff because it's harder to sell because then you're really slashing your prices, trying to get those things sold. Um, after a lot of these people that, you know, gobbled snakes up in 2020, 2021, 2022, kind of get out of the business. I think that's when we're going to see stuff kind of normalize again. Um, you know, when there's not 40,000 snakes on morph market, um, when there's not a bunch of Mojave's and there's not a bunch of NG's and there's not a bunch of, you know, just Het clowns. Um, I think we'll see prices normalize and hopefully at that point, for those of us that are serious about this and trying to run a business out of it, it kind of makes it a little more profitable and easier for us to actually run a consistent business out of it. Um, you know, we'll be, uh, back on our feet i guess
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there definitely was an influx of like folks coming in during like COVID. that's when i got in like full disclosure but i plan on sticking around though like i plan yeah. on riding this out and like sticking around um i definitely have long-term plans for what we want to do like as a brand as a business and things of that nature so with any business, any kind of venture, like you're going to run into some hard times and there's an element of risk and things of that nature. And you just kind of got to be able to like kind of ride it out. And so I just strive to make decisions that keep us positioned in a place to where we can ride out something like this. And so that's the plan for us to just ride this out and continue like pushing the projects forward um, and then just go from there. But yeah, definitely yep. want to be on the other side. And I'll have I mean, some stories to tell maybe.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I'd be, I'd be. I mean, I, I, don't know how much exactly I've invested in this because a lot of it is, you know, I've bought stuff and sold stuff, um, so I don't know the exact amount of money that I've actually physically put into this because some of that money is like recycled. Um, but it's been over 200k in the five years I've been doing this, and like it, it's at the point where I, like it can't fail, you know, like it, it needs to work for me. Which right. is what I'm constantly trying. I'm not in the position where I can say, okay, I bought twenty snakes and I spent five grand on them. Um, this sucks. I'm getting out. I'm going to sell them somebody for five hundred bucks. Like this is this is something I'm I, I'm in. You know, I'm in one hundred percent. I'm working every day to build Instagram, to build YouTube, to build my Patreon, to produce better stuff, um, to get new customers, to f- try to find new ways to you know, expand my business. Um, that's the only way you're gonna survive. And that's with anything. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're a construction worker or a snake breeder, you can't just assume that you're gonna get work. Like you need to work to get customers. Exactly. That's where all these people are failing, is that they're not putting the work into it. They assume that it's gonna be easy money. And it was for you know a year or two, it was easy money. Um, I've been on both sides of it. I was in before COVID happened, I was selling during COVID, and now I'm here afterwards. And it was absolutely easier to sell in 21, in 22. Um, but now that everything's come back down to earth or kind of <laughs> below earth, um, <laughs> it's not it's not the same thing. It's it's a lot more difficult. And if you're not ready to deal with that, um, you're not willing to pivot or adjust. You're gonna get, you're gonna sink. It's it's hard.
0: Yeah, I do feel like how easy it was to sell stuff back then kind of lulled a lot of folks into like a false sense of security. I was always going to be like this, but it's not like, I mean, there's, there's work that's involved And there's a lot of work, especially like when you're balancing um, a full-time job and doing it, like there's a lot of work. There's a lot of like sacrifice and stuff like that, that you got to make. Sometimes you got to miss sleep. Like there's all kinds of things that you got to, that you got to put into it. But if you want to succeed long-term, you got to be willing to do what it takes to succeed. It's not just, easy I mean maybe for some folks it's just easy but for, for me for us like nothing ever nothing's ever been like just super easy that was like worth me putting in my time to get it you know what I mean like um, if it was something I wanted like I had to work for it I had to bust my ass for it and I had to make like sacrifices that's just that's just part of it right
1: yeah I mean I've There's nothing I've, new here I've spent every single penny that I've had Extra on this over the past five years. I mean, I we really haven't taken vacations other than you know we went to Ocean City last year and that was kind of a cheaper vacation. And um, you know, we I just came back from a vacation, but my, it was my dad's seventieth birthday and he he rented the Verbo house, um, so it was really just gas money. And get so like like I we haven't been spending money because I've been trying to build this into something where um, I have expendable income that I don't have to worry about money anymore um, because I, I have a day job that and I, and I, I run. I have an IT company. It's a small business. I have a couple clients and luckily it pays the bills and gives me some extra money uh, to be able to build my snake business. But I'm at the point now where I can't keep investing a, a ton of money into uh, snake limited. Um, the things I have now need to start kind of paying off um, because I I've, Put I put a lot of a lot of purchases on credit cards. Um, I put a lot of purchases on PayPal credit because you can get zero percent financing through there. Um, I opened up a bunch of new credit cards when I switched to Snake Limited that gave zero percent financing for twelve months. So I was smart about how I was uh, making some of these bigger purchases, but it's still debt, right? Um, right. So when I'm you know doing months last month where I'm doing BOGO sales, so I can make. 15 grand in a month or something. That's not It's not money in my pocket. All i doing is paying off these snakes I bought six months ago. Um, so, I mean, it's they're big sacrifices. Um, again, luckily, my day job pays the bills and allows me to, uh, you know, start building this business more. But it's not easy. I mean, the only positive between, you know, with doing this and having my other day job is that my desk is... A foot outside of the snake room, so I'm either at that desk doing my IT stuff, or I'm in the snake room doing snake stuff, and I can do both at the same time uh, most of the day. So it makes the actual physical work in the snake room a little easier. Um, but, you know, if I'm in the middle of cleaning rats and I get a phone call, I got to you know take off my gloves, throw them away, go out and you know go answer the phone call, work on whatever the IT issue is, and come back in and pick up doing you know cleaning rat crap again. Um, So it's a lot of juggling and multitasking. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I love doing the ball python stuff. That's what I want to do full time, but it's definitely, it makes it hard. You you can't with any business, you can't just pick up and it's not just going to work. You need to work at it. And a lot of the people I talk to that are getting into it, what I tell them is, look, like you can't do this for five years and not have social media. Like people have to know who you are. Like you can't just start buying stuff and never talk to people or never interact with people. Just if you plan on doing this as a business, you need to get on Instagram. You maybe don't have to do YouTube, but you need to get on Instagram. You need to start posting stuff. You need to start liking stuff. You need to start following people. You need to start interacting with people. That's how you start building up your brand. Um,
0: Show your face.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that that's part of my biggest issue is, um, in terms of branding, is I'm not. I'm more of an introvert. Um, you know, I love talking snakes, uh, and I'll talk to anybody about it. But I'm more of an introvert, and, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of big personalities in the ball python world, um, and there's a lot of people that are a little more extroverted than I am, and I think my my biggest issue was that it's just that I'm not as outgoing as other people um so while a lot of people know who i am from my youtube channel um and i and from instagram probably to a lesser extent um i think that's hurt me the most and that's kind of the one thing that i struggle with is kind of um you know not being so introverted
0: yeah i'm i'm naturally introverted like for me it was a big adjustment when i first started the podcast because I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of a lot of people. And while you can't see like all the people that are out there watching it and stuff like that, you still know that they're there. And so like, that was um, a big step for me. It's just kind of getting more comfortable in that space. Now, now I don't care. Like now it's just, it is what it is. And it's actually like really kind of poured over into like my professional life too. Right. And so what I mean by that is like, I was always like, I mean, like, I would really get kind of, like, sick and queasy, like, butterflies in the stomach anytime I had to make, like, a presentation in front of, like, a large crowd or just, like, any kind of thing like that, right? I just, it just wasn't my wheelhouse. And I'm not saying I'm just, like, this great orator at this point, but I'm certainly not as nervous as I was before, right? And so now it's just kind of, like, a thing, right? So it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't have a problem, like, speaking in front of a bunch of people. Um, And so, like, that's been, like, really kind of like a a value add for me for doing the podcast. So not only like meeting new people, uh, getting our name out there, um, helping build our brand and and putting the face with the brand and stuff like that, but then just like the spillover into like my, my everyday life. So it's, it's helping that way too. And I, I harp on putting your face out there too, because like a lot of folks, you just either, you know, their hand, you know their logo and you know some of the snakes but you never really see a face so it's helpful to see faces that way you can start associating yeah. faces because for me like seeing a face helps me remember a name like like a like a person's name i can remember a brand name pretty easy but like a person's name like seeing their face and being able to associate that and seeing it like especially seeing it like more than once Yeah, that's helpful too and so like i know when i first start posting like I never put my face in the photos and like um, I forgot who it was that told me it was like, man, put your face out there. Like somebody did it like once or twice <laughs> before like the YouTube, but it's big. Put your face out there because like, yeah. you're walking around shows and like people might not even know who you are because all they've seen is your hand. I mean, she's going to walk around like this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I've had plenty of people ask me, you know, how do you get started on doing YouTube? I said, just make a video and post it on YouTube. You know, like, <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Like, if you go back and watch my first ever video, it's like, it's me in my old house in the garage against this, like, like creepy-ass brick wall. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Um, but, you know, terrible audio and a terrible camera in a terribly lit room uh, with, like, echoes. And, like, you know, I, you can't get better at something without practicing. And actually right. doing it right, you can't get better at breeding snakes um, unless you breed snakes. Which is why I I suggest that people don't go out and buy a ten thousand dollars snake. Um, you know, buy a couple. You know, lower end things, not, not like hundred dollars snakes, but buy a couple five hundred dollars snakes. Make sure you can take care of them. Make sure you can grow them up. Make sure you can. Breathe them, make sure you can incubate the eggs and make sure you can feed the babies, then get into it, you know? Um, but you still got to practice all those different skills and, you know, YouTube or Instagram, those are, you know, some of those things where I'm, you know, I'm learning different things about Instagram all the time. And, you know, the algorithms change on social media as well. Sometimes they want, um, sometimes uh, static photos are working better. Sometimes reels are working better and that stuff changes all the time and you got to figure out what works better for you but again you have to actually do those things you can't just get better at them just by always just by studying just by asking questions you actually need to physically do it
0: absolutely 100 percent. so kind of along those same lines and you touched on this earlier so you've got a patreon so speak to like how your patrons um, laid out, like what tiers you got, what you're offering in those different tiers.
1: Yeah. So I just started it last month. I believe it started in the beginning of July. Um, My whole goal with it was to find an avenue to speak to the people that really need my help. Um, And, you know, a lot of people scoff at Patreon, Yeah. um, Saying that, you know, you're charging people for advice, but, you know, time is money. And that's the way I look at it. It's a business. um, And I want to help people, um, but I don't have unlimited time. Right. People that are willing to spend money to join my Patreon uh, want to learn and want to understand this better. Um, And they want to have somebody to sort of mentor them. And I've had quite a few people over the years say, hey, you know, do you mind mentoring me? I'll pay you a fee. Um, And I said, I really don't wouldn't know how to do that or where to even start. And I'd feel bad charging you money for it. But I'm sort of using Patreon as that. And um, so the way that I looked at Patreon was there's a lot of, um, you know, Billy does it. Ozzy does it. Justin does it. And they've been here for two decades doing this stuff. And I learned stuff from Billy all the time. I'm on, I still, I'm still in his Patreon now. Um, the difference that I've seen with them in from stuff that I can offer is I haven't been here for two decades. I'm, I'm ahead of where most people are that would be joining my Patreon in terms of growing a business, but I understand the pain of building a business Um, and I'm still in it. And I think the fact that I can empathize with that, the fact that I'm working through those things in 2023 um, offers a different perspective. And I feel like kind of offers different advice compared to what some of those other Patreons can do. Um, So like my, I have two tiers at this point, a $25 tier, and a hundred dollar tier, the $25 tier um, You know, gets access. I don't I do not do like fluff posts. I try not to um, because that's what I really use Instagram for. Um, but like the $25 um, tier gets all the posts in Patreon. I don't like block out any posts in Patreon um, for different tiers. And that's stuff like I offer business basic tips, you know, either their videos or through text and simple things, sometimes as simple as, you know, Uh, if you need stickers, go through sticker Mule. Um, you know, I buy these through all the time. They offer sales every other week. Um, or this is where I bought my ultrasound from, or this is how I set up my lighting setup for, uh, taking pictures of hatchlings. Um, something that I just figured out. Don't store your rat food inside. Um, I kept it in my garage and I bought like 20 some bags from, um, a store up here. That's like tractor supply that sells the Kalmbach rat food. Uh, and I got uh, grain mites and they were all over my garage and they were all over my fridge, out in my garage. Oh wow. So I, so I had to uh, basically fumigate the garage and I had to buy a little shed, like a little uh, Rubbermaid shed that I put outside that I have. All- so little things like that, that um, are persistent and easy to find in the Patreon that I'm learning as I go sometimes um that's what goes that's what everybody sees in the $100 tier um is more it's everything that's in the $25 tier plus it is personalized help for uh the patrons so that's you know uh, id help with the clutches um business advice in terms of you know what should you be investing in what should you be selling off um where you should be investing in infrastructure for your business and things like that. Um, and if once I get more patrons in there, I'm going to be doing live Q and A's or live streams, you know, monthly or biweekly as well. But uh, at this point, I only have three people in there. I'm hoping to build that. Um, but it's, uh, it's growing slowly, but it's getting there. And, you know, for a month, I'm happy with the three, the three uh, people that are in there, two of them, or past customers, and one of them's a recent customer, um, nice. so they're people that you know I have relationships with. I'm um, hopefully they're finding the stuff that I put in there to be useful. Um, then I do the you know the other stuff where you know you get first dibs, you know, on new clutches and new animals. I'll offer the sales that I post on Patreon before I put the sales up you know, on Instagram or on Morph Market, um, so they get all the perks that most people give out. Um, but it's, I think what I offer is just a different perspective on running a business in, in terms of, you know, doing this for five years, I feel like I've been pretty successful. Um, I understand the business. I understand how to build it. Um, you know, I'm still going through those growing pains. I'm still trying to get to the point where I need this to be, where I want this to be a full-time job. And I feel like that is, uh, can be a huge benefit to people that are just starting out or just two years in or three years in or even five years in that still haven't figured it out. Um, And that's, I want to help people. I love talking about snakes with people. I love talking about business with people. I'm very, uh, you know, money oriented in terms of how I'm spending my money and how I'm running the business. And those are the sorts of things that I want to translate to people um, in the Patreon. And again, I also look at Patreon as sort of like another avenue of building this business of building Snake Limited. Is you know if I can build a big um, patron base in there, I can invest more time into it um, because if I'm if I'm getting more funds from that, um, and I can take more time away from the day job, then I can put more into it. And like I know Billy, Billy, and you are you still in Billy's Patreon?
0: Not currently, no.
1: I mean, I don't, I don't know how he has time in the day to spend the time he spends on Patreon, but he does. Um, he, he must never sleep because but <laughs> he has a huge base of people in there now, and he's making decent money for it. So it makes sense to, you know, invest time into it. And that's the kind of the way I'm looking at it is, if I have a captive audience of people that want to hear what I have to say and can learn from it and grow from it and build their business from it, then I want to talk to them. You know, like I don't want to spend tons of time on YouTube where there's everybody and their mom that just have dumb comments to say, you know, like don't keep snakes in tubs. That's jail for snakes. Like I don't want to interact with those people. I don't want to have a conversation with them. And I've actually, started peeling away from youtube because of stuff like that where i used to put out 10 15 minute long videos now i'm just like i'm trying to do them like quick i'm doing like four or five minute 10 minute at the most unless there's something that requires a long video um because i don't want to be wasting my time on it anymore it's not valuable to me and to be honest with the three patrons i have i'm making more money on patreon right now than i am on youtube every month so it's not, you're, you you do not hit your audience all the time. And with Patreon, I want to get in front of the people that want to hear what I have to say. And I want to invest my time in them. Um, so that's what my Patreon is all about. Um, you know, people that want to learn, people want to grow their business. That's where they should be.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> that yeah. makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Uh Yeah. I can, I can tell you, you don't make a lot of money on YouTube.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's hard. And, and, and it's, views, I can't, you know, I can't figure out whatever those algorithms are and what gets views and what doesn't, because I've been making the same exact content um, for five years. Uh, you know, I've gotten better video quality, better lighting, better audio. And I've tried to kind of trim down how I, my, my video process and my editing But, I mean, I had a video, oh, man, I forget when it posted. It was either the beginning of, I think it was probably the beginning of 21. It was like my top five biggest ball pythons. For some reason, that was before I was even monetized. For some reason, that video took off, and it basically was the reason I got monetized. ton of views um, in terms of, you know, ball python videos, um, tons of watch hours, which took me over that limit to get monetized. And for, for a while there it was kind of steady and it was nice. And I was at the most I was ever making was like 200 bucks a month off of it. Um, and I was like, I mean, it helps pay the bills a little bit, right? I might pay for my snake food for a month. Um, but now, I mean, it's, it's like sunk so far that, you know, there are months where I'm making under a hundred bucks from it. And on average it's like 130 bucks. And if I'm, I'm posting usually two videos a month, and, you know, or two videos a week, then I, let's say it takes 30 to 45 minutes to record those videos. Um, and then it takes another 30 to 45 to edit them and post them. So I'm spending an hour and a half, maybe two hours the most every week putting those up. So, you know, eight hours a month, 10 hours a month at the very most. Um You know, $10 an hour isn't a good, you know... <laughs> salary (laughs) youtube videos it's it's just not um so i've kind of now it's basically what i use youtube for is um clutch cuttings and clutch ids and that's what i'm basically using for at this point you know hey guys this is clutch number 12 Uh, i'm cutting it out look how cool this is uh and then two weeks later here's a clutch id for clutch number 12 um, you know, this is this snake, this is that snake. That's what I use it for. So if people um want to see some cool new snakes, they can go in there. If I have somebody interested in the hashling, I can reference that video and say, look, here's the clutch, check out what you see. That's all I really use YouTube for at this point. It just <coughs> doesn't make me any money.
0: Yeah, like don't get me wrong now. I am appreciative and thankful for the money <sighs> that I do make from YouTube, but is it the biggest revenue stream for for Herb Collectors right now no it's not the biggest revenue stream like not the youtube money um shout out to the sponsors too actually uh yeah definitely shout out to the sponsors the sponsors have been like really supportive and so that like that's helped a lot too as well just getting um folks to be willing to like really like get behind you and back you and sponsor you so that's been helpful but i mean you hit the nail on the head in talking about having multiple revenue streams because like when i mean you want to have like multiple revenue streams because like when you take a hit on one maybe this other one kind of like makes up the difference or at least help mitigate the hit that the the impact of the hit that you do take and so like it's good to have like those multiple revenue streams and so yeah. i think that's a smart way to go about doing it and then like really leveraging your time and getting the best roi on your time i think that's another smart way to do it as well
1: yeah i mean this is it's for most people that are doing this it's for business purposes you're not doing it um some people do it for a hobby but i think a lot of people that get into this i think they have the idea that they maybe want to do it as a full-time job so if you're <clears throat> doing it as a full-time job your time is a resource that you need to um account for you know and there's only so much of it in a day there's only 24 hours a day um So you can't just keep giving it away for free. When you're selling a snake, your time is baked into the sale price. How much time did you spend researching the parents and which two snakes you wanted to breed? How much time did you spend feeding those parents, pairing those parents, um, raising up those babies as hatchlings um, marketing those babies, creating the listings, taking the photos, talking to people um, that didn't want to buy that snake? Um, what if you had a picky eater that took a while to get to eat? Um, so you're putting all this time into selling one snake and you sell it for 150 bucks. I can guarantee you that snake lost your money.
0: Yeah, 100%.
1: Bucks, that snake lost your money. And people don't look at it like that and they don't appreciate that people that are doing this as a business um, have a lot of skin in the game. So, you know, when I do something like Patreon, it's not, you know, me being greedy. It's me trying to build this business out. And and having a Patreon affords me, it really does afford me more time to spend with people in the community.
0: I think one of the issues is, and, I've seen this and just like you, I really kind of stay away from like that type of crowd and stay away from those types of discussions because like I really have no interest in participating in those conversations, um, especially if it's not done in a fruitful way. But like a lot of people, they have a hard time wrapping their head around you can do it as a business and that doesn't mean you kind of inherently don't value the animals that are involved. Like a lot of people feel like if you're thinking about it, like strictly from a business perspective, then you're like automatically like not thinking about like the animal's well-being, And right. that's not the case. Right. Like, cause I'm sure you take really good care of your animals. Just like I take really good care of my animals. Just like a lot of people who do it for a business are still taking really good care of the animals. Because if you're not passionate about the animals, if you don't care about the animals, then it's not going to be a business you do for long because otherwise yeah. things are going to suffer, but you can, be passionate about the animals, care about the animals, take good care of them, like check off all those boxes, do the right things, but still think about things from a business perspective. Like there's a yep. there's a balance. Right. And you can you can do both. And like I feel like some people kind of get so caught up in you got to do things like one way and think about things one way and really kind of like view it like. Strictly from like like a like a pet perspective. Right. Right. And so. I think people kind of emotionally get kind of wrapped up into that.
1: If you're, if you don't think of it like a business, then you're not going to be in business very long. It, it's, right. it's how it is. But you know, these snake. I know all these snakes personalities, you know, I spend so much time in here every day that every single one of these hatchlings, I mean, I've had probably 50, 60 hatchlings come through here at this point. I know every single one of them, you know, I'm spending so much time in here with these snakes and maybe I'm not holding them you know, five hours a day each. Um, but I know which ones are shy, which ones are aggressive, which ones are going to try to bite my face off, which ones I can <laughs> give, give my five-year-old to hold. Um, and you, you take care of them like all, they're all your kids. And that, that's what I'm in here doing every day because part of your responsibility as a snake breeder or any animal breeder is to take care of your animals. Yeah. And you can tell who does and who doesn't and, and anybody that's ever purchased a hatchling from me has received a snake that is completely healthy and is thriving the second they get it um, And the reason I preface to hatchling is because I have sold adults that were picky eaters that I've put in the morph market listing. this snake is a pain in the butt. I don't agree. <laughs> to eat. I'm just letting you know now. It's like, as is. Do not come back and tell me that it's not eating for you. Um, but no, I have, should put it all out there. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm always honest about it because I don't want I don't want to come back to me, which is why I have a five star rating on the Morph Market with 130 plus reviews. Um, but the hatchlings are always eating, um, and they're always healthy, and that's how you get customers to come back, and that's how you get five star ratings, and that's how you get perfect ratings. Um, and perfect reviews because you're selling stuff that's healthy. And these things, snakes wouldn't be healthy if I wasn't caring for them properly or if I didn't care about them at all. Um, so, you know, that's only a part of it. And the other part is running it like a business. And if you're not running it like a business, then you're not going to be in business long.
0: 100%. 100%. So, I do want to take a, a brief pause for the calls. Um, we're going to play the sponsor video. And then we'll be right back. Awesome. Peace and love, family. We invite you into the heart of our serenity, Ancestral Royal Pythons. At Ancestral Royal Pythons, we're not just breeders, we're nurturers of love and growth. Each of our high-end ball pythons is a tribute to the grandeur of the natural world and our dedication to quality. Reach out today and bring one of our creations into your home. This is Ancestral
1: Royal Pythons. Your journey begins here.
0: Here's to the exciting world of Ebony and Ivory reptiles. From unforgettable parties and events, to keeping and hatching some of the dopest reptiles in the reptile hobby. We're all about education, quality, integrity, and respect. Hit us up and see how we can help make your next project a reality. Experience Ebony and Ivory Reptiles, where fascination meets fun. Ebony and Ivory Reptiles. Yes, yeah, so I want to um, talk about like technology and like the technologies that surround the industry. So like one of the big things um, going on right now, obviously, is the genetic testing. So how have you like leveraged the genetic te- testing or have you actually leveraged the genetic testing? And, and like how's your, how's your game plan in that space?
1: I have, and I think the biggest um, thing with genetic testing for me has been proving out a POS het. So I had an uh, Ultramel het pied male. that had a bunch of genetics in them that I got from Ozzy that I bred to What did I breed him to. I bred him to in. a head Ultramel, and I got two really awesome looking ultramale females that had a bunch of genetics in them and they had pied markers but they were only POS had pied, right? So I put took in their shed test and they both tested, you know, positive for het pied. So they're holdbacks because they're ultramale head pieds and they each have two, three, four, five genes in them. So they're, you know, invaluable to me. So from that perspective, um trying to figure out what I want to hold back. It's been valuable. I don't know if I'll get into testing snakes that are post Um If I know I'm going to sell them from the uh, from the beginning, because I, it, you know, sixty bucks for a test, fifty bucks for a test, it might raise or, or lower the value of the snake. Um, I don't know if I'll get into that, but like I did have a mystery snake pop out that I actually did sell. And I don't know where it came from. So I had a clutch. It was that same male from Aussie. He, so he's he was sold to me as a leopard, firefly, orange dream, ultra head pie. And I was seeing some weird things in earlier clutches. And I had this other clutch and he was bred to a pastel pied female. And I got this snake that looked like an ivory. It was all completely white. Well, the snake from Aussie wasn't supposed to have yellow belly, and this other female wasn't supposed to have yellow belly or anything in that complex. So I uh I talked to Charlie at Gray Rider Reptiles. I sent in the shed and he tested positive for yellow belly, but not ivory. Um and I believe then he also did gravel for me as well, and he tested negative for gravel. So then I, Charlie actually took the shed and sent it into RGI for me to do a full panel because they do all the other super stripe, you know, yellow belly complex genetics, mm-hmm. because I still feel like this snake has to be some allelic combo with yellow belly. So then I look back and I asked Ozzy cause I didn't have the, the pairing records from the mail I bought from Ozzy. And I said, what was his pairing exactly? Because I'm seeing some weird stuff. And Ozzy said, well, to be honest, I think he was Enchi as well, but Ozzy sent me the parent records and one of the, one of the, one of the, um, parents had yellow belly in it. So it helped me kind of figure out that this male also has yellow belly, right? So this male that was, you know, four genes turns out to be five or six genes. And he's all, all that much more valuable to me at this point. Um, but now this snake, you know, I already sold the snake and I sold it as a mystery snake and I, you know, gave them the information I had but I'm still waiting for this genetic test to come back because RGI has been taking about a month to get, uh, results back. So, I mean, it's with things like that, we're getting mysteries. Um, you know, neither parent was supposed to have yellow belly or specter or, or asphalt. Um, but I get a snake that's all white that has, that looks like an ivory. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, like where am I getting these special extra genetics from right so that's how to me where i think it's very important and i and i I think i just saw the video where rgi said they're supposed to have 30 more new tests out or something by by october
0: yeah i saw that there's a ton just going to be rolled out so so
1: now i'm hoping that that full panel test for 120 bucks is still 120 bucks when that happens (laughs) i'm sure i mean i'd be utilizing that a lot more on some of these snakes where i have no idea what's going on you know, if, they're, if you can test for Leopard and Orange Dream and, you know, all these other incomplete dominant traits. Um, I've hatched out quite a few snakes this year where I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Like, it, it's just I can't find if I put in those genetics from the parents and morph market and I look through the calculator and I click on all the different combos, there's nothing that looks like it. Right. So. Either the people that are listing them have the genetics completely wrong you know, they're IDing them wrong when they sell them or there's some other hidden gene in the one that I produced, um, genetic testing solves that. You know, it it takes all the guesswork out of it, which is where for me, it's important when I'm trying to pair things up a year or two down the road. um, I know what that snake has. I know what I'm breeding it to and what it has. And it makes the ID all that much of, of the offspring a little easier um, but there's, when I buy a snake, like when I bought the snake from Ozzy, I knew that uh, it's a guess. You know, nobody else at that point, I don't, I think that that male that I bought was the only Leopard OD Firefly Ultra Male pied. Um, I I hadn't seen another one like it for sale. Um, maybe somebody had one in their collection. Well, turns out to be Yellow Belly too. So I'm not mad at Aussie cause I had an extra gene right. <laughs> and I wouldn't be mad if it didn't have, you know, one of those genes in there as well, because I understand that it's all it, it, it's theoretical
0: the ID. Yeah.
1: Right. And that's, that's the one thing I need to say to everybody. And that I wish people talk about more is the only thing that should be guaranteed are the recessives. Right. If you're producing everything that I produce, I guarantee the recessive traits if it's 100% het. I guarantee it because I know what the pairing is. If I bred a clown to a pied and a normal comes out, that's because it's a double het clown pied. And I guarantee that it's double het clown pied. Um, But when you're breeding snakes together that have five, six, seven, eight incomplete dominant genes, and those genes can... Uh, have different variances in how they look. Was a polymorphism, I believe is what they call it? Yep. Um, You can't positively ID that, and you can't even compare it to the other stuff that's been on morph market. Um, So, yeah. If you get a snake that has four or five genes and you're kind of uh, miffed because it's missing one of them when you go to breed it, well, you got to be okay with that. Yeah, that's Um, part of the game. Yeah, and that's... I even... Put a disclaimer in my listings now. If I'm not positive of genes in there, I'll list it as, you know, uh, pastel, leopard, clown, het pied, possible orange dream. You know, it's not a, a super complex combo, but to me, sometimes if there's something that's right on the border, I'll list it as possible OD. And if it proves out OD, or if you think it's OD and you win, then you win. Um, but I put a disclaimer at the bottom of all my listings on Morph Market that say, Recessive genetics are guaranteed. Incomplete dominant genetics are theoretical IDs or the, the best guess with the information that I have. So don't be upset if it's missing something and don't be upset if you have an extra gene. <laughs> so but the genetic testing, I think, is invaluable uh, with some of this stuff. Um, I had somebody on Instagram actually contact me last month or two months ago about sending in sheds for... Testing MJ Exanthic to RGI, and I haven't had a chance to send it in yet because I was waiting to get all the sheds that I had. Um, but so stuff like that, where you know, if it's a new shed test and they test it for, for free, <laughs> like the DG stuff they did two months ago, I sent in my two DG sheds for that because um, they're both het DG. Um, so I wanted to see kind of what 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 they have. Um, stuff like that's invaluable because I have a I have two hat mj uh, pied snakes and if they turn out to be um you know 100 mj then their value to me skyrockets because they're pied head clowns um so you know it's it's a good thing um i think it only helps the industry um I, it's not accessible though it's still kind of expensive i think for for a lot of people 50-60 bucks to test for one gene is a lot, especially if you're buying a pet or if you have one or two snakes. You know, 50-60 bucks can feed most people snakes for a couple months. So to be able to shell that out when you're not running a business um, is a is a big expense. So hopefully some of those prices come down. But for me, yeah, I hope so too. Right. For me, you know, like those two females, those Ultramel, Females that I kept, they had head pied markers, but I wanted to be sure, or or, because they were getting sold. If not, um, you know, to me having that assurance that they're head pied was kind of invaluable for me in terms of what my plans are going to be in two years when I'm breeding them.
0: Yeah, I'm like you. I'm not going to test stuff that I know I'm going to sell. At least not at this point. Maybe if the price comes down a little bit, maybe I'll change like that strategy. But for right now, I'm not going to test stuff that I know that I want to sell. I haven't tested anything like to date, but I'll probably be doing some testing this year, um, for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know, check check Charlie out from Gray Rider Reptiles. Um, the couple I sent in actually I sent those two hep pies into them plus that ivory male. Mm-hmm. And I believe an adult and he got me the shed test back, the results in a day or two. Oh, um, really?
0: Is he testing for clown?
1: He doesn't have clown yet, okay. As of the last time I checked, um, but I believe he has pied. He has yellow belly. He had gravel. Um, I think he still had ultramel. I don't know if he took it off like RGI did. Um, I believe he has hypo. I think lavender. Um, so he doesn't. He, I I think his issue is that he can't sequence everything on his own, so he needs to have everything publicly publicly released so that he can do it. Um, yeah. But the things he can do, he does them extremely fast. So I mean, I use him for everything that I can use him for. But if I need a full panel, like I sold, I sent two snakes in for. I, I go through RGI because still, one hundred twenty bucks is a decent price to get figure out, you know, what twenty genes, these twenty genes that they test for, um, does he have any of them? But they, but their turnaround is a lot longer. So if you want something quick, and and Charlie can do it, check him out.
0: Gotcha. I got a, I put a confusion hit Batman to an Ultramill. And so I'll be testing for Clown for some of those babies. I'm yeah. um, assuming like the clutch goes well and everything works out the way it's supposed to work yeah. out. I'll be testing for Clown for some of those babies for sure. That's a big clutch. And hopefully, like the odds got smile on me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, that's that's an impressive clutch. I actually, I need to get more. I don't have any Ultramel Clown stuff now, so that's something I need to get into. Um, I was so focused on Pied the last couple of years and in, in getting more Clown stuff that I kind of... Um, and I have, obviously, the Ultramel Pied stuff as well, but I kind of... At the point that I was buying all that stuff, there wasn't a lot of Ultramel Clown stuff going around. Um, so now I'm kind of behind the eight ball on those, but I got to work those in too. So that's a cool clutch. Appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it. And there's more stuff kind of floating around out there in the Ultra Clown Project, as you know, but it's still not a ton, ton. But uh, like I hear a lot of people talking about working it. So
1: Yeah, I mean, Ultra is the same way. There's there's not even Ultramel. Like a couple of the snakes that I've produced in Ultramel, um, like you don't find a lot of them and they look fantastic. You know, like I produced a bamboo pinstripe Ultramel two years ago. But, I remember that one. And I, I kept one of them. Um, but it, it's a just fantastic looking adult snake. You know, it's a, it's a 16, 1700 gram snake at this point. It still looks fantastic. So there's a lot to do with ultra Mel, ultra pied and ultra Mel clown. And, um, like those are the sorts of projects that people need to kind of think about a little more, um, that you probably have a better, a uh, better place to get a full hold into in the project rather than trying to chase everything. Right um, there's still not a lot of it like a lot of the the pied head ultra stuff that i produced this year nobody else was producing um unfortunately the stock the stock market you know dropped on the <laughs> but the whole that da- i mean i have maybe 10 hold decks in that project right now that in two years are going to be just destroying the the game i would think in, in the ultra pride project um because nobody's Layering genetics like that in in those projects—they're all focusing on clown and DG, which is fine because I mean I'm doing it too. You know, yes. there's, that's just kind of the way everything's going. But it doesn't mean that you can't, um, you know, carve out your little niche with with the side projects.
0: Absolutely. Have you tried the Morph Maker AI yet?
1: I haven't. It, you know, the first the first time I saw that was a couple days ago. What? I, what is that a website it's on a website?
0: Yeah, so if you go to like Morph Maker AI IG page, they've got the link to it okay. on in their IG profile. And so you just go on there and it's basically like an image generating like AI that's been trained up on a lot of ball python morphs. Uh the guy, um, he's been working on it with his son, like his son, like um specializes in that and so like and then he's been in the reptile industry for a while and so it's been a father-son project that they've been working on and so like now this is kind of like version like 1.0 of it if you will and so there's obviously like improvements and stuff that are going to be made but i mean it it works pretty well for where it's at it does have like some of the same challenges that a lot of like the image generating AI has sometimes like with little like details every now and then something will come up kind of weird. Like you might get a two headed snake or a snake that's like segmented in different pieces. But the cool thing is it only takes about five seconds or so to generate an image. And so you can just keep pressing refresh and you're eventually going to come across something that looks pretty cool. And so it, it made some, some cool looking like, uh, theoretical combos that haven't been made yet and some of it look really spot on obviously the AI is only as smart as like you train it up to be, being so right. you got to have good data like fed into it for it to be smart enough to kind of like think about it and it's like I said it's just really kind of like the version 1.0 so if it just keeps getting better and better and better I think it'll be a useful tool or at least something fun just to kind of play around with.
1: Yeah it's just to visualize what you're what you have the potential to make. I, I yeah. guess now a lot of that is. So are they taking like single genes and, and mash them up together or are they actually taking combos into the AI to create new combos? So like, so like, is it only taking a pastel and an enchi to create a pastel enchi? Or can you put a pastel enchi in a uh, uh, Mojave confusion and will it generate something with all four of those genes in it?
0: so you can generate something with like all four of the genes in it like there's still some pieces and obviously i'm just talking from having played around with it like for a couple of days like there's some things like for example i tried to put in i put in a lesser mojave because i kind of want to like stress test it if you will yeah so i put in a lesser mojave and it showed me like a generated image of what a lesser mojave would look like Mm -hmm. if it wasn't a bell right so like if it wasn't like a blue-eyed lucy And you just saw like Lesser and Mojave kind of like interacting without like it being all white snake. That's how I would envision it to to look. And then I tried a super chocolate, super spot nose clown. And obviously you can't have that because chocolate and spot nose are allelic. And so like it still generated like an image for that. But it is, it does like kind of like compile images. Now, in terms of like the images that it was trained on, I don't know if it was trained on like single gene combos or Uh, Two gene combos. I don't know, like, kind of how like they made the sausage. Uh, So it does, though, Mm -hmm. like generate like more complex combos. Like I wanted to see what a GHI confusion spot nose clown would look like, Mm -hmm. and like I got a pretty good image of it. Like it's on my page. I showed it on my IG. It looks pretty cool.
1: I'll have to look into it. I might, I might might get off this later and start. I was <laughs> like, yeah, and that's
0: pretty cool looking. Like, and that's a um a snake that I hope to hit in the near future, like that or better. And so yeah, awesome. It yeah, cool into it. It. I haven't seen that yet.
1: Yeah, AI, I guess, is the is the future of most things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hate it or love it, we're here. we
1: <laughs> yeah, are. And, and I guess if it helps you some of those uh combos that haven't been made yet, I wonder, you know, if somebody does the, the AI generated version of it now if they could you know, screenshot it and compare it to what actually comes out, you know, in a year or two, if it's actually close to it, like if just taking confusion and Mojave and clown and, and splicing them together, if it really figures out how to, how to put all those patterns and colors together. um, And if what comes out on the other side of it's similar to the actual, the actual snake.
0: Yeah. That's what I can't wait to see. Like how, how close is it? I imagine some it's probably gonna hit spot on, some it's probably not gonna even be close. Yeah. But yeah, that'll be kind of cool to see how it all plays out.
1: Yeah. As long as as how long until uh somebody uses one of those AI images to try to sell a snake. Oh, it's gonna happen. Like they probably have
0: already done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh god. <laughs> it's definitely happened. gonna happen. So buyer beware, you gotta that's when you gotta be a smart buyer and know like yeah. who to buy from, like what kind of signs to look for. Like you gotta yeah. do your due diligence
1: yeah there's a lot of shitty sellers out there (laughs) so maybe
0: that's the topic for your patreon like really like hey hey guys this is out here this is how to think about it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i've never i the first time i saw it was i feel like two or three days ago and that's what i mean like i'm not on social media a lot you know so like other it's really just me posting um more so than interacting so that's i haven't seen it and i was on vacation last week so it's the first time i i came across it i didn't know necessarily what it was so you're educating me a little bit
0: (laughs) yeah it's pretty cool too though i like it yeah Yeah, i I played around with it for uh for a little bit like last couple days just like seeing what stuff would look like so yeah yeah
1: i'll look into it later
0: saw some really cool looking projections (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah i can imagine hey, i might put some of my um my crazy combos for next year in there to see what what i could be producing i might be <laughs> might make, might make a little too excited for next year to come <laughs> <laughs>
0: cool man so in wrapping up can let's reflect on your journey a little bit and, and and talk about like what's been like the most unexpected personal growth that you've kind of received by going through this in operating snakes limited, snake limited, and things of that nature.
1: Unexpected growth. Um I think it's it's really I I was never somebody that gave up at stuff, but I was also not somebody that ever really tried hard at things. Um I think Perseverance of trying to build your own business and trying to overcome obstacles and trying to figure things out on the fly um, is kind of the, I guess the thing that stands out most to me. I guess, um, and really the first time I sold a five thousand dollars snake. Um, I mean, I I probably had never been more proud of myself or felt more satisfaction with myself. Um, You know, that was when was that? That was last year. So I was thirty. I don't know how old. I my wife's like my wife says. I don't know how old you are. I'm like I don't care how old I am. Yeah, I
0: forget sometimes too. I have to like legit think about it Um, all the time.
1: I was thirty six or something last year. I don't know. and it's probably the most proud of myself that I'd ever been because I, I spent years building up to that point. Um, and I made some great investment choices and I sold multiple $5,000 snakes. And it was like, you know, and you're getting $5,000 paychecks, you know, multiple times in the same week. It's a good week. Um, Yeah. That's
0: nice.
1: (laughs) When you're not used to making that sort of money, you know? Um, so I think the growth for me was that realizing this is something I can do and that I'm good at it um, and that I have the ability to make this into something special and having kind of building that confidence in myself of, I got this, I can do it. It's not easy, um, but it's what <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, pulls me up by the bootstraps when, you know, you're having a tough year or when prices plummet um, that, you know, it's a business and it it sucks, but I can do it. I can figure it out. I figured out how to do it last month. I'll figure out how to do it next month and I'll figure out how to do it next year. And that's what you have to do to survive and grow. Um, And, you know, I think that's kind of what it is. It's just kind of adapting.
0: Dope. That's a real cool answer, man. Real good answer. Very insightful. All right, man. So as we wrap up, I do have like random questions that I ask everybody at the end. Sure. And so um, you may have heard some of these, especially if you listen to previous episodes, but we'll start with the first one. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Um
1: that's a hard one. I would say Australia. Because nice. I- out of all the places I've been, that's been my favorite place to visit. It's it's a, it's a close enough to the United States um, in terms of culture. Everybody speaks English there. I don't have to learn a new language. Uh, there's trop- the tropical aspect of it, the beautiful beaches, the awesome wildlife. Um, there's just kind of like it instantly clicked with me when I went there. So I would say there.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Yeah, and there's definitely some good herping to do in Australia. Be careful. But, yeah. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous herping. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so if you won $10 million tomorrow, how would you use it?
1: Um, I'd stop working my day job. <laughs> um, I would probably pay off the debt for my immediate family. Um, maybe help some some people, some other people I know that could use the help financially. Um, And I'd set up a fund for my kids to make sure that they were, you know, taken care of for the future. And then I would, I would probably don't, I mean, my, my, I don't know if it's the introvert in me or not, but I've always been, um, I don't know how to say this, not sound, like a weirdo, I, I've always been more inclined to to uh, empathize with like animals than I have with people. <laughs> I mean, it's a little weird <laughs> answer, but I would you know donate some of the money to to helping animals in some cause, you know, in, in wildlife or whether it's rainforest preservation or something like that. Um, you know, because people people worry about themselves a little too much, and they don't wor- worry about what they're doing to the earth. And I'm not, I'm not, you know. Uh, I'm not going to join Greenpeace and I'm not a tree hugger by any means. <laughs> um, but I still understand the importance of nature and, you know, the circle of life. And Absolutely. I, I want that to be preserved for my kids and my grandkids. Um, so I'd make sure that I was set up well for the rest of my life. So I didn't have to worry about anything. Um, but I would definitely make sure that some of that money is getting, getting um, put back to help preserve what we have here on the planet.
0: That's dope, man. That's dope. So last one of these. Uh, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
1: Um, Steve Irwin was the first person that popped my mind, only because I think he did so much for wildlife, um, for, uh, you know, uh, herps as well. Um, he kind of brought... Animals and, and that whole culture, I think, to the forefront. Um, and he just seemed like a really awesome guy, so I'd like to meet him. Um, the next person was Brett the Hitman Hart. Oh, nice, <laughs> I, I grew up loving loving wrestling. I even watched wrestling in my mid 30s. Um, but he was my favorite, my favorite wrestler growing up. I've always loved watching him wrestle, loved his work ethic. Um, so I like to meet him as well, just kind of like a, a childhood, you know, hero. Um, third person. That's a tough one. I don't have any else jumping off the top of my head. It's the third person I'd want to meet. Hmm. I really don't know who a third person would be. That's All right. right.
0: So quick follow-up question on Britt. So what's yeah. one question you would ask him?
1: Oh man. I'd ask him about the Montreal screw job. <laughs> I'd want to know like how it actually went down. Like there's a little bit of the videotapes and a little bit of the documentaries that that uh that happened, but I'd really want to know like the actual details about what happened in the Montreal screw job. Do you know what that
0: you. is? Uh, it's escaping me now, like I've heard the term, but
1: yeah, it's what- it's he was like getting ready to leave the company to go to WCW and um, him and like Shawn Michaels were having a feud at that time and he didn't want to lose the title to Shawn Michaels in Canada because Bret Hart's from Canada. Mm-hmm. They um I believe it was they did a quick count on him like McMahon agreed to that. Um, but they ended up doing a quick count on during the match and he lost the title in Canada. So it was like I mean he apparently like like punched or assaulted McMahon in the in the locker room afterwards. Um it was like a big it was a big thing back in the nineties about how that went down. So yeah, I I'd wanted to it was a big big controversy back in the day and kind of still is, even though they kind of made up. Um so I'd be curious to hear about the details about that.
0: Nice. Yeah. I used to watch wrestling a ton back in the day, and I I remember that term, but I didn't remember all the specifics on it. I know back in the day like I had a bunch of like wrestlers that I really liked like Sting and Ultimate Warrior they were they were okay. two of my favorites um back in the day who else Uh the Steiner brothers you remember them
1: yeah everybody loved Sting though I mean he was kind of you know the crow he was kind of like the guy to the guy to love back then
0: oh yeah 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 <laughs> we used to uh, like have like little Fake wrestling matches and stuff like, as kids and stuff, and like we try to do like the moves and all that. Good oh, stuff. Yeah, I'm surprised, I'm I'm surprised
1: I never snap something on my little brother. Trying to, like try, I'll <laughs> drive him or something. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, fun times, fun times, man, fun times, and for the longest, like I, you can like people would try to tell me, "Oh, this is fake, this is fake," like a lot of this is staged. I didn't believe it when I was a kid. Well, I'm, I'm I mean, sure I read you know,
1: Arguments when other kids <laughs> in school when that happened. Yeah. Like, oh, that's fake. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's not. It's real. Look. What? He's yeah, bleeding. I had those arguments. He's bleed, man. Look. He's touching <laughs> down his face. He smacked one of the head with a chair. <laughs> little, little, yeah. little do you know as a kid that, yeah, it's fake, but it's not fake. I mean, those guys got like serious injuries from doing this, pulling the stunt. I mean, it's. Yeah. It's, I'd rather be a stuntman. I feel like in a Hollywood movie than do some of the crap that they were doing back in the '90s and early 2000s.
0: Yeah, because a lot of that stuff was risky business. Like they were like seriously putting their bodies at risk doing it, like for an entertainment value. Yeah,
1: like man, yeah, so. jumping off the top of a steel cage and a table.
0: Fun times, man. Yeah. Fun times, man. Man, this has been a great interview. Um, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us tonight really means a lot like I know time is money time is valuable so anytime someone's willing to spend time with us we really appreciate it man so is there anything you want to tell listeners about what's on deck for snake limited Anything to keep it out for anything you want to plug shout outs you want to give the floor is yours bro
1: sure um, so. If you guys don't know me, uh, check out my YouTube channel, Snake Limited. I'm on Instagram at Snake Limited. I have my Patreon that I just set up at Snake Limited. Um, As you can see, it's spelled up here, S-N-K-E-L-T-D. I actually have a website too, SnakeLimited.com, with the links to all of my different things. Um, I have a lot of Clown Pied Project stuff coming up the rest of the year. Um, Some more Ultramelt Pied Project stuff coming up. And I'm going to have a huge year next year, but um, I guess my biggest thing is building my Patreon um, patron base. Um, I'm really trying to build that up. I want to reach out and help as many people as I possibly can to help build their business. I'm doing it. I've been there um, and I'm still doing it. I feel your pain when it's hard to sell these snakes. Um, I feel your pain when you're having issues feeding these babies or trying to get the parents right or having bad clutches come out and, when you're in a, when you're a smaller business, when you're just starting off, I understand that losing one clutch kills you. Um, You know, losing a couple babies kills you because it, it not only does it hurt you, you know, emotionally, it hurts your business because you were counting on those snakes. So I understand all that stuff more than, 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 I would probably say most of the bigger guys out there, not to take anything away from them, but it hurts me too. So I'm there with you guys. I can empathize with everything you guys are going through. And my Patreon is set up to kind of help minimize the, the issues you guys are having, minimize a lot of the speed bumps that I went through. Um, you know, in the past five years, it just happened to me and I don't want it to happen to you guys. I want to help you guys get over those humps. I want to help you guys figure it out. And I want it to set you guys off on the right foot so that you're not going through a lot of the growing pains that I went through.
0: Cool, man. Great response. Great response, man. Yeah, y'all definitely go check out all of the social media platforms. Check out IG, check out YouTube, and definitely go through and check out the Patreon. Um, We will put the links for everything in the description of this video, so make sure you go out and check this out. Um, appreciate everybody that's taking the time to hang out uh, with us and listen to the show, anyone that's catching it as it premieres or that's going to catch the replay. Probably if you're watching this, when it premieres, I will probably be in Daytona um, at the time, because it's coming out thir- this Thursday at 8 p.m. We're recording it here on a Tuesday. But definitely, man, everyone, I hope to see you in Daytona. John, I hope to meet you in person someday. Um, Again, thanks for coming out. Uh, Make sure y'all show the channel some love, too. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hope smash that notification bell. Definitely make sure you, you check out all the sponsors. Um, Their links are in the description of this video. Um, Definitely give them a follow and let them know, hey, we're supporting you, man. So definitely thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming out. Be blessed. Peace.